0: News, Notes, and Zola, next on Baseball HQ Radio. He levels about a couple of times. Shaw kicks and he fires. Rose
1: Wayne. There
2: in, There it is! get out, get, get out. On.
3: All right. Yeah. It's number 4192.
4: A live drive single into left center field. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt.
0: And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 16th. It's show number 34 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davich, your host, and we have another great show for you with our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols and from the American League with Jock Thompson. We'll have our weekly talk with Todd, featuring Todd Zola, discussing how to manage your roster for arriving prospects and cross-league trades, regression, and much more. In our regular Friday matchups analysis, Greg Fishwick looks at Toronto right-hander R.A. Dickey facing Texas against right-hander Nicholas Martinez, while Milwaukee right-hander Marco Estrada visits the Cubs and Southpaw Travis Wood. And in Master Notes, BaseballHQ.com speculator columnist Ray Murphy talks about not so different after all. It's another Big Friday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. And as always, the first inning of our Friday News and Notes edition is our League Watch News Reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's the National League Report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs has been a story this year, Uh, seven home runs, he's hitting .285, both of which are nice advances on last year, but Dan Becker's Batters Buyer's Guide column at BaseballHQ.com in a column about power faders includes Rizzo as a concern, and at the same time, Jeff Tomich, in fact, in flukes, has Rizzo as an improver in batting average. When you add it all up, what does it mean?
3: What it all means, I think, is what, what Becker really says about Rizzo is he's starting to become a more complete hitter. I mean, here's a guy we looked at perhaps a year ago as a guy who's going to hit a lot of home runs and not have much batting average. So he had 23 homers and hit two thirty-three and you kind of went, uh, another one of those guys. But, but what we're seeing this year with Rizzo is uh, some development of, of real hitting skills. I mean, the guy now has a 1.08 eye, so a really good batting eye. Um, XBA is two seventy seven uh, power is just kind of uh, 101, so league average power and, and, and uh, an XPX, an expected power index, that's not much higher. So what Dan Becker was suggesting is that those seven home runs are not going to continue on a monthly basis throughout the rest of the year, but that Rizzo is becoming a more complete hitter and maybe a guy that we can count on for 25 home runs and now a decent 270, 280 batting average, which makes him a much more complete ball player.
0: The Baseball HQ projection for Rizzo is $20 or so in 5x5 five five value over the rest of the season, 21 home runs to come, 64 RBIs, and a 275 batting average and maybe even four or five steals along the way. Rizzo, in a way, it would almost be better for him as a roto player anyway, as a fantasy asset, if he did maybe cut down on the power and gain 25 points in batting average, don't you think?
3: Oh yeah, very definitely. I mean, it's, certainly that's a that's a big boost Uh, If that can happen, there are lots of guys out there that can hit 20 home runs and hit 240 or 230, but there are far fewer who can hit 20 home runs and hit 270 or 280. So definitely, I think, a more valuable asset at that level.
0: We mentioned Jeff Tomich in Facts and Flukes. He also looks at what might be the offensive story of the season so far among breakout hitters, especially in the National League. Charlie Blackman, the outfielder in Colorado, has just uh, started off like a house on fire. But uh, Jeff Tomich calls Blackman the perfect storm of skills and luck. What does that mean?
3: Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, there, there are good skills there, undoubtedly. Charlie Blackman has some skills. A 133 PX so far, a uh, a, a decent speed index. Uh, so he's stolen some bases, he hit, hit some home runs, but he's also had some really good luck. I mean, we're, we're talking about a, uh, a hit rate that's been very high and it's starting to come down a bit. Uh, 33% overall, but only 24% in the last month. So uh, what that means is he was really, really raking at the start of the season, as we all know, and was hitting over 400. And that 400 batting average is now down to 333. And we'll see con- continued fading, I think, from Charlie Blackman as the season goes on. Uh, the projected balance, for, we're, we're right now at nine home runs, eight stolen bases. Uh, baseball HQ projections now are for 13 more homers, 13 more stolen bases, 292 BA. That's not a bad ball player. We're going to look at a guy who's going to go 20-20 and, and bat 300, and, and that's good. I mean, we'll take that. It's just he's not going to hit 400 uh, and not to uh, be quite as hot as he's been all the way through the year. But definitely not someone to turn your back on, uh, even though we may see a bit of a fade from him.
0: I've talked about Charlie Blackman on the show before with our some of our experts on this Tuesday Tout Editions, and one of the things that worries me about Blackman, Nick, is this. He's 29 years old. He's a career minor league journeyman type of player, and baseball is, if nothing else, extremely good at identifying players who can hit. And usually, if they're in the minor leagues at age 29 or 30, it means that Major League Baseball has figured out they can't hit. And it's does it seem at all odd to you or worrisome that Charlie Blackman, at 29 years of age, all of a sudden comes up to the major leagues and starts hitting like he was the you know reincarnation yeah, of Ted Williams? A little Williams?
3: bit. I mean, you know, clearly this guy would have been in the majors a lot earlier were he able to hit at this level. On the other hand, at age 29, he's really sort of hitting his peak. So we're certainly seeing, I think, a career year from Charlie Blackman, and uh, maybe have a uh, the top of the bell shaped curve and have a kind of a fast fade after that. But uh, so you know, in keeper league, he's not a guy I get really excited about. Uh, but, uh, but he's still a guy that I think can uh, continue on. I'd watch him if he were on my roster and make sure a fade doesn't happen real fast, but he's continuing to do well and especially continue to do well in Colorado as, as the entire Rocky team is. So, uh, you know, he's a guy I would keep in my lineup, but keep an eye on him.
0: You know, to me, he just screams sell high. I think if he were on my lineup, I'd, uh, I'd be looking to try to cash cash in my chips and maybe uh, find something a little steadier along well, the, the track Rockers record. have that guy who's Steve- sitting on
3: the bench right now, and that's Corey Dickerson. So, you know, that that's the other thing that we've been talking about at Baseball HQ is you've got to look at Dickerson's skills, and there's a guy who's much younger uh, who, once he gets a chance to, to get some at-bats, is, I think, going to be the guy you want, especially in a keeper league.
0: Stephen Nickran's starting pitcher buyers guide looks at young building blocks, a list of bright young pitching stars with names like Julio Tehran and Michael Walk of St. Louis. But the name that jumped out at me, Nick, was uh, Alex Wood, also of Atlanta.
3: Yeah, Alex Wood, because well, you know what's happening with Alex Wood. Alex Wood is a really good pitcher, but the Braves have decided at this point that he's lost his rotation spot, and he's going to pitch uh, just uh, sort of here and there when they have a chance to start him. Uh, and so he's pitching out of the bullpen, and that's where he's been for the past week. And so, and and actually, he's done fairly well. He gave up, gave up a couple of runs, but uh, in in uh, five innings pitched, has eight strikeouts, no walks. Looks like he could settle in there for a little while. And ultimately, if you're a Charlie, if you're an Alex Wood owner, I think the fact that the Braves are limiting the guy's innings at age 23 is a good thing, you know. Um, and and he continue could continue to be very valuable. There's uh, there's there several guys in that rotation, I think, who are shaky. I think you'll see Alex Wood back in the rotation regularly before the end of the season. Uh, and I think the other thing to watch for is if somebody drops him out on your waiver wire, I would grab him right away. Alex Wood has got excellent skills, 147 BPV, a 9.5 DOM, 1.6 control, a 3.05 expected run average. This is a pitcher. And so uh, if he gets dropped in your league because he's in the bullpen now, uh, I would not hesitate to grab him.
0: And finally, Nick, the game of musical chairs continues in the bullpen at City Field. Uh, Two names popped up this week at BaseballHQ.com. Doug Dennis, bullpen buyer's guide column, mentioned Juris Familia. We talked about him earlier in the season. But at almost the same time, uh, we had a, oh gosh, what was it? But at nearly the same time, we had a playing time today column in which Phil Hertz mentions uh, that Henry Mejia might have a shot. And indeed, the Mets manager Terry Collins says Mejia had they had the opportunity to put him in a save situation on Thursday, would have got the call out of the bullpen to close the game. That didn't happen, although Mejia did pitch. What do you think of these latest two candidates, Familia versus Mejia?
3: Well, you know, in fact, in fact, Mejia did clo- actually close the game in a one-nothing game when the Mets were. Were uh, trailing. He got to pitch the top of the ninth. So there was clearly uh, they were clearly showing some uh, uh, some faith in him at that point. You know, when you go back and look at that entire bullpen, the skills in that bullpen belong to Jose Valverde. That's the guy who's got the elite skills, but he doesn't have the confidence anymore. And so right now the bullpen is a mess. Uh, Mejia actually pitched in 2013. If you look back. Had a 160 BPV. He pitched very well. He's not been doing so well this year, a 75 BPV. Could this guy be a closer? Well, maybe. I mean, he's got a, he's got a good Dom, 9.3 Dom so far this year, having a bit of problem getting the ball over the plate or 4.5 control. So yeah, maybe he could work as a closer for a while. I mean, right now that bullpen is obviously a horrible mess and, uh, certainly he, he might be the guy.
0: Well, baseballhq.com analyst Phil Hertz was looking at the situation and he pointed out that Mejia's relatively poor numbers, especially in regards to his control, might have been affected when he was uh, starting in that it was the second time through the order that his struggles really popped to the fore and he started losing command of the strike zone maybe if he's out coming out of the bullpen and only has to pitch to three or four guys a night maybe he sidesteps that particular issue that's been plaguing him and can get on about his business with those elite skills one time through the order
3: and that's indeed possible i mean certainly uh, you know the first time you get a look at a guy in a game you're you're uh, less likely to hit him than you are the second or third time through so i certainly that that's certainly a possibility and but he has shown enough skill that uh, certainly, if I were if I were Collins, I'd give him a shot. I mean, at this point, uh, at this point, there's not a lot to lose. He can't screw it up any worse than the guys ahead of him have.
0: But the question is, if you're a fantasy owner, do you want to invest a good chunk of fab in Henry Mejia at this point?
3: I wouldn't invest a good chunk of fab, but if I'm looking for saves, I might throw a few bucks out there and see if it uh, see if uh, a present happens, you know
0: yeah okay nick thanks very much for talking with us we'll catch up with you again next week
3: thank you patrick
0: harold nichols writes pitcher matchup reports for baseballhq.com, and of course he's our man on the national league beat here at baseball hq radio now let's turn to the american league and baseball hq.com director of news and analysis jock thompson jock welcome back to the show hey
5: pd how you doing
0: I guess I'm doing okay. I hope everything's all right with you as well. It's Certainly both of us are much better off than Texas is as far as their pitching rotation is concerned. You started reporting a couple of days ago in your playing time tomorrow space for the American League West. Then Rod Trusdell covered up again with playing time today. After the Texas Rangers announced they're going to be losing both Matt Harrison with a back injury and Martin Perez with season-ending season ending Tommy John what do the Texas Rangers do? And more importantly, what do fantasy owners do?
5: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we've talked about this before. What, what can Texas really do right now? They they haven't been that good anyway. I mean, their offense is near the bottom and run scored. Um, they pretty much run through most of their pitching depth. Uh, and, and it's not like clearing out their farm system to trade for pitching is a, is a smart move right now. I'll, I'll tell you one thing they might consider doing, and it's not a pitching move. Um, after the deadline, after the June deadline in which uh, – uh, Kendry Morales, the acquisition of Freddy Kendry Morales doesn't uh, require them giving up a draft pick. How about uh, talking to his agent and uh, and signing him? I mean, uh, I think they're 11th in run scored. But getting back to the starting pitching, obviously they got to try some kids. They're going to have to go through some retreads like Joe Saunders and Scott Baker. The Angel or the Rangers have a talented organization. Um, they've got guys like Nick Martinez and uh, Luke Jackson who don't have a lot of experience at A, but who are going to get thrown into the fire quick. If I'm fantasy owners, I'm not, uh, as a fantasy owner, I should say, I'm not rushing into picking up any of these names, but I'm certainly watching them because they all have good pedigrees.
0: How about some names?
5: Uh, well, you have Nick Martinez. I mean, he's with the club now. He's thrown 10 scoreless innings in uh, in relief. He's going to start. Um, you've also got Luke Jackson. Um, he's he has seventy innings above uh, A plus, but he's doing real well at AA. Um, these are guys who are who are in the upper echelons of the uh, of the Ranger farm. They they're just inexperienced, and I and I don't expect them to succeed uh, wildly in their in their first uh, extended views as uh, as starting pitchers. But um, you got to watch them, and of course they're going to give Scott Baker a, a try. Um, he scares me given his fly ball tendency, the fact that he's lost velocity and he's pitching in Arlington as the summer months come. I wouldn't touch Joe Saunders with a 10-foot pole. Um, Who knows, now maybe Robbie Ross, even with all his problems, maybe he has to stay in the rotation. Um, There's not a lot of people I'd be rushing to pick up in Texas right now.
0: Yeah, Jock, that's exactly what it looks like to me is we can sort of try to figure out what Texas is going to do with their – Guys that they have on the roster, might they look uh, into their farm system and so forth, but the bottom line for fantasy owners, there's there's not a lot here to look at, even if you assume that one or more of these guys, even if you guess right on who's going to get the innings, they very much look like innings you don't want to have on your roster.
5: Well there is one guy that I didn't mention there and that's Nick Tepish and, and he's also a little bit inexperienced but he did have a run as a starting pitcher last year and before he developed some elbow problems he actually didn't do decent he didn't do badly. And he's he's been on a roll in uh in triple A this year. Um he still needs a change up, but uh he could be decent. But the other names I would uh, I would definitely uh give pause before I put him on my roster.
0: Well, I'd be uh, I'd be a little leery of Nick Tapish as well, but uh, if if you held a gun to my head and said pick one, he'd probably be the guy. But under most circumstances, I'll just pass on the bunch. Uh, staying in the American League West, jaw Kyle Blanks finally got traded out of San Diego, and he ends up in Oakland, where he takes Derek Barton's spot on the active roster. The trade was covered by Rod Trusdell in playing time today. Blanks has been a top prospect at the start of his career and turned into something of an injury problem over the rest of his career. Can he help Oakland? And more importantly, can he help me on my fantasy team?
5: You know, I'm going to give a qualified yes to that uh, if you're in a deep league, because Blank still has really good power. And he can hit left-handed pitching, um, even if the career stats only suggest uh, marginally better. Last year, he actually did very well against lefties. Uh, I think he uh, he put up an 829 OPS, over 103 at-bats, and included five homers. Um, It's really tough to tell what he's capable of because of all the injuries. But in the American League, he's going to be with a better team. He's still going to be in a tough hitting venue, but he's going to be spotted. He's going to be a part-time player who who plays a lot of DH, uh, some first base, all against righties. um, I'm sorry, all against lefties. Um, He's not going to play that much outfield. If you need power in a deep league, yeah, I'd be picking up on blanks. And I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him a few at-bats against righties just to see what he can do.
0: Yeah, Blanks is one of those guys that has always had that intriguing power potential and never quite lived up to it. Every so often he'd come up and and start bashing away and you'd think, finally, here he is. and And then he'd just dribble away through injuries or lack of playing time or whatever. It's going to be interesting to see how he does in Oakland. It's a Tough park to hit home runs in, though.
5: Yeah, it is. Um, it's 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 very similar to, to Petco in that regard. And let's be clear, he definitely projects as a part-timer at best. I think he's proven over the last four or five years that his body really can't hold up under everyday play.
0: A bunch of position player injuries in the American League East to go with their pitching problems. All covered by Matt Dodge in playing time tomorrow. Let's start with maybe the biggest news. Ben Zobris dislocated his thumb. He'll be out for at least two weeks. And of course, we know that hand injuries can sometimes take even longer to get be- to get better. Matt noted that the roster spot was taken by call-up Cole Figueroa, who is detailed in BaseballHQ.com's excellent minor league call-up space. So is it Figueroa that gets Zobris playing time or what's going to happen there?
5: Well, last night, um, um, both Sean Rodriguez and Logan Forsythe were in the lineup against the Angels. Um, but, but these are both right, uh, right-handed hitters, and it w- they were facing lefty Tyler Skaggs, so it's, it's unclear. I think Figueroa is a left-handed batter, and with some decent play skills, as, as our minor league column noted, could work his way and could be sneaky interesting. Um, he doesn't have a lot of upside, but Tampa Bay is, is always comes up with some of these guys who, who, who can do the little things. So uh, I would keep an eye on him.
0: This seems kind of like the same thing that we have with the Texas rotation situation. It's an interesting parlor game to figure out what the Rays might do, but really there doesn't seem to be a whole bunch of fantasy effect no matter who they choose
5: yeah there's there's no obvious one person who's going to take over these at bats and uh, and Tampa Bay has has the, uh, the, the the habit of the propensity to moving players in and out and, and being very versatile with these at bats so it's it's really tough to come up with somebody who's who's uh, who's going to profit from this
0: on the other hand we have an interesting situation possibly taking shape in Baltimore the Orioles closer situation Tommy Hunter had eleven saves and no, Not great skills, uh, not great peripherals, but he did have those 11 saves. Then in the last four games, he's given up runs in all four of his outings. Blew two saves, and on Thursday night, they gave the save to left-hander Zach Britton. What's going on in the Orioles' bullpen that might be an advantageous situation for the uh, fantasy owner?
5: Well, Hunter's shakiness is what's going on. Um, he's, he's always had uh, uh, handedness trouble, um, and Zach Britton uh, got, a, got a clean save the other night. You almost have to believe that Britain is in the mix right now. Um, I would not feel real good if I were a Tommy Hunter owner.
0: What about if you were a Darren O'Day owner? I was listening to the game a couple of nights ago, and uh, Darren O'Day came in, but they brought him in in the the sixth inning, I believe.
5: Yeah, Darren O'Day is another name. I mean, he he does well against right-handed hitters. I could see Baltimore very easily moving to a committee.
0: Okay, a committee of two, or is there somebody else in there that we need to know about as well?
5: Yeah, well, right now, I mean, there is no one guy in Baltimore. So anybody who's pitching well is in the bullpen is going to have a chance to get saves. Right now, I like Britain and I like O'Day. Uh, Tommy Hunter is there, um, and you know he'll he'll probably keep keep getting opportunities. But um, it's a mess in Baltimore.
0: You also might want to take a long shot look at Ryan Webb, who's uh, been talked about at least for quite a while as a potential closer in Baltimore. Uh, He pitched the eighth inning in the game that Britain got the save in, or part of the eighth inning at at any rate. So uh, stay tuned on the Orioles' closer situation. Of course, whether to invest any fab money depends on how much of it you have, how much impact saves could give you in the standings and so forth. Uh, Bigger news probably in New York, the Yankees' Carlos Beltran. Not a surprise that he's on the DL, although he's been a little more reliable. These last few years, but a bone spur in his elbow, he'll be gone for a while. What happens in the Yankees' uh, situation?
5: Well, it's a little tough to tell for the for the for this past week, given that the Yankees have been playing in City Field without the DH. Um, but they've been playing Soriano a little more in the outfield since Beltran went down, and I think they're going to open up that DH spot to create some at-bats for everybody. Um, prospect uh, Zoilo El monte has been called up from Triple a where he was hitting two hundred and seventy three with six homers and one hundred and thirty at bats and he 's effectively taken Beltran's roster spot he 's not much of a prospect and and there 's not a lot of skill to to recommend there uh, with a the reserve outfield projection for our minor league analysts so again it 's another situation where I think the uh, the at bats uh, due to a uh, uh, an injury uh, uh, a um, disabled uh move are going to be spread out among, uh, among a lot of guys, and it's really tough to see who benefits.
0: In Toronto, a similar sort of situation. Outfielder Colby Rasmus, who is having a pretty good year. He seems to be getting better little by little every year. Now he's on the deal with the strained hamstring. It's actually been bothering him for quite a while. What are the Jays going to do to replace his at-bats?
5: Well, they put, uh, they, they put Anthony Gose in center field uh, uh, the other night. He was called up to take uh, Rasmus' roster spot. Um, Kevin Pillar also saw some center field action the night before. And as Matt Dodge notes, even Jose Bautista has seen some center field action this year. Gose is an ex-prospect. Uh, most of us know about him. He's contact challenged. He, he still has a little speed. He used to have a lot of speed. If you're if you really need uh, stolen bases, maybe he can gain something back. Pilar's offensive game is a little more well-rounded, even though he also projects as a reserve outfield. Again, all of these names are marginal. You're really looking for lightning in a bottle here.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where. The temptation is always to go for the where you think the at-bats are going to be, and generally speaking, it's not a bad tactical move to add at-bats because at-bats generally lead to counting stats, but gosh, none of these guys really makes you sit up and take notice. Uh, we're going to be talking with Todd Zola later on in this show about how to manage your roster in the expectation that better players are on the way while we wait for the Super 2 uh, um, deadline and the uh, arbitration deadline to pass so that they can start promoting their young stars, not necessarily Toronto, but just everybody, and and, uh, until then, we're going to see a lot of guys like Kevin Pillar and Anthony Ghost filling in for injured players.
5: And you're and you're trying to guess you're trying to guess what a manager is going to do over a stretch of games or any given night or a week. It's really, really difficult to do.
0: It is. And we have one more opportunity to talk about it in Cleveland. Niger Morgan's got a knee sprain. They called up uh, Jose Aguilar and a lot of Fantasy owners I know have been looking at why the Tribe hasn't called up Jose Aguilar sooner. He seems like a pretty good hitter, and our minor league staff says he's really been doing well lately in the minors. So do you think he's going to get enough playing time and do enough with it that he could be the exception that tests the rule that we've been talking about, it seems, this whole segment?
5: Yeah, again, that's the $64,000 question. I mean, Cleveland definitely needs the offense. The problem with Aguilar is that he's position challenged. He's just not much of a defender. The only places he can play are at first base and DH. And Cleveland isn't willing to, at least at least yet, give up on Nick Swisher or, or put him in the outfield. Um, Aguilar has had a couple of tremendous years offensively. He had a very good winter league campaign um, where he, he led all of the, the Caribbean leagues in home runs. Um, again, the problem is finding out where he's going to play. Now he was red hot in April, and he has cooled down uh, in May. Since then, I think he's been hitting a buck eighty. Um, so the timing isn't real good for him. Um, This is a guy who, in other circumstances, um, if he was going to get playing time, I'd be jumping all over. But right now, I'm I'm just not sure. Boy, uh,
0: we haven't been much help today, have we, Jock? Everybody that we talk about, you just can't be sure. And that's one of the frustrating things about these injuries, and especially in the modern roster management situation in the major leagues. As I said, they can't bring up their top prospects just yet. A lot of teams want to hold on until they get past those uh, payroll and roster deadlines. So for now, it's uh, you know take your chances, pay your money, and hope for the best.
5: Well, we can only get better from here, can't we, PD?
0: <laughs> well, gosh, I hope so, because I'm looking forward to the uh, parade of top prospects who who figure to be coming up to the major leagues. Probably starting in about two weeks, once they get near the end of May, start of June, and uh, then we'll really have something to talk about. But in the meantime, gosh, uh, we'll just keep our fingers crossed. There's fewer injuries than we've been dealing with, and uh, we'll, like I said, hope for the best. Okay, Jock, thanks a lot. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time.
5: Okay, next week, PD.
0: Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com, and he writes regularly for the site. He's also our man on the American League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our regular Friday talk with Todd is next. Stay tuned. Todd Zola coming up on Baseball HQ Radio.
3: I gambled on on other sports other than baseball. I never gambled on baseball, but uh, I think I'm uh, being punished pretty severely.
4: Baseball HQ Radio. (laughs)
0: Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes edition. I'm Patrick Davitt. Keep your eyes peeled this week at baseballhq.com for these features. Dr. HQ, Rick Wilton, has his latest injury roundup. You can bet that's keeping him busy looking at such players as Jose Fernandez, CC Sabathia, Carlos Beltran, Colby Rasmus, Matt Wieders, Martin Perez, and unfortunately many more. Ron Chandler's analytics column is called Making Peace with PEDs. And our Facts and Flukes Spotlight has Jason Collette taking an in-depth look at Red's right-hander Homer Bailey. Plus we have our regular features, daily analysis of changes in playing time, performance validation in facts and flukes, all the buyer's guides, division outlooks, pitcher matchups, and more. All on the site now or coming up soon at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular Friday talk with Todd and it's a pleasure to be joined by Todd Zola contributor to BaseballHQ.com ESPN.com FantasyAlarm.com MastersBall.com ChandlerPark.com and more Todd welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio Really great to be back Patrick At your KFFL.com roundtable, one of my favourite things to read about fantasy baseball you've got a lot of really good experts there and I like the breezy kind of format get a lot of information across in a fun way you asked your knights as you call them about how how to manage a fantasy roster based on the expectations that we're going to see new arrivals starting to come from cross-league trades, but especially top prospects being called up as we pass the various arbitration and free agency deadlines to keep them in the minors. So tell me first, what did your Knights
6: advise in general? See, I actually, I like this column too because I get to like ask pointed questions that I kind of want to know the answer to myself. Uh, so I we've actually talked a little about this before, how the Super Two deadline might become the time where you want to spend your fab and fantasy as opposed to the regular trading deadline in July, because uh, there's just fewer crossover players. So this is kind of a, a my guinea pig. Not only are they my knights, they were more my guinea pigs. Sorry guys, this time to see if you know if I'm out there, if I'm the only one that believes this, or if it's sort of catching on. And that there are other people out there that also sort of have the same feel. Uh, so it was sort of an open-ended question, so they could, you know, they could answer that as the answer, or they could, you know, go take whatever direction they wanted. And yeah, I think a lot of them did come to the conclusion that there're going to be some talent that gets promoted in the next few weeks, probably starting in June. Although we're starting to see a trickle of it now. That there's going to be some people promoted in June. That if you're not in a in a lot of these leagues already, have got reserve lists and prospects are so well known at this point that some people bury their prospects on a reserve list in tout wars and labor, etc. So there might not it might not be apropos to all leagues. But there's enough leagues out there that don't do that just yet, and so we kind of. I don't know. We we talked about some names of people to at least monitor in the next several weeks, next few weeks, that might be able to help your team for four months instead of just six weeks at the end of the year. Uh, I'm really interested particularly in the prospects I just don't
0: see uh, those cross league trades happening as much anymore because teams are in the race longer because of the wild card expansion and because of parity in general so the the real possibility here it seems to me is that prospects are going to get called up especially with all the injuries we've been having heaven knows so when you talk to your knights on the roundtable at kffl.com
6: which names did you see popping up with great frequency? Well, I think the uh, the name that probably comes up the most and is Gregory Polanco for a couple of reasons. First of all, he's really good, and secondly, their Pittsburgh is at a point where they're struggling a little bit, but they have a good team and they have a spot in the outfield. It's not as if Jose Tabata and this, the uh, platoon with Travis Snyder, you know, are, is going to be a Hall of Fame duo. And so, you know, Polanco can play in that area. Marte's been hurt. Uh, McCutcheon's McCutcheon, nothing to worry about there. But they could, they could use the boost. And their pitching is good, their, their team is good. And at the whole Super 2 thing, they need to control him. And it came out recently that they, I think some people considered a low ball contract for the next 10 years, buying him out of the, buying him out of some of the arbitration, et cetera, free agency years, et cetera. Uh, but I think, so he's a name that people are expecting to come up. Jonathan Singleton of Houston, the first baseman who's, had some personal woes, but seems to be over him at this point, and I don't think Chris Carter is going to hold anybody back. One of my personal f- personal favorites is Mikel Franco of Philadelphia. Uh, although I got to admit, I really like when I when, when announcers say Cody Ashi, I just you know it sounds like Kobayashi to me, and it just kind of you know Cody Ashi has now become one word to to most uh, to most baseball announcers, but. Uh, Mikel Franco, and he's actually been breaking lately. If you, if, he was doing really well in spring training, he got sent down, and if you followed him at the beginning, you probably got a little bit depressed. But if you check him out lately, he's been pounding the ball down there in AAA. and he could be called up. Uh, Jock Peterson of the Dodgers has been mentioned, although I think there's a bit of a, a log jam there. Pitching wise, Matt Whistler has been talked about, uh, for the Padres. Uh, you know, Petco Park's always a good park to, uh, to pitch in Noah Syndergaard, although he hasn't pitched as well lately. Uh, the, the plan was to bring him up, and it's still well, still very well May. The name that's sort of quiet is Javier Baez. He, he, people thought he was going to break camp with the team. Uh, and the, the, the Cubs have actually had good production out of Starlin Castro, and I don't know, you can move Baez to second base, uh, so they still could, but there's really no reason, I don't think, for the Cubs to do that sort of thing. And the other name is Andrew Heaney pitching-wise, especially with the unfortunate news about Jose Fernandez going under the knife. Andrew Heaney's being talked about as possibly coming up and taking that rotation spot down the road. A
0: couple of the Knights mentioned to Oscar Tavares.
6: Yeah, Oscar Tavares, he's, he's the, of St. Louis. You know, interesting case there is where do you play him in that he, it'd be easiest to put him in center with Borges and John Jay just not playing all that well. But they want to make him a corner, and if you do that, it puts Matt Adams at bats in jeopardy because you're going to have to move Alan Craig over to the corner. So I I think they have to wait for a little bit to shuffle out there. He's finally healthy. He was was hurt. He was probably the number one prospect in all of baseball for a while that he's hurt. You think he still is. But he could come up. I think with him it's more of a place to play i don't think that they want to put him in center so either it's going to take an injury to craig or adams or holiday uh but i think i think we will we will see him by the end of the year i just don't know if it'll be in june and uh tommy la of the braves uh, they've been
0: they need a second baseman to do something out there uh, tyler pastor Nick, doesn't look like a solution
6: what do you think of la stella's chances of coming up and having an impact I first, I got first turned on to Lostella by the, the baseball HQ forums. They've been sort of following him for, for a year and a half at this point. I don't understand why he's not up at this point. uh, Like you said, Taylor Pasternicki. You know, last year Elliot Johnson made the playoff roster over Danny Ugla. Now, you know, Taylor Pasternicki has started the past four or five games over Dan Ugla. I just don't understand. It's not as if Ugla's that great a defensive second baseman. They've been putting up with, with that shortcoming for, for a few years. So why not just promote the kid and, and see what he can do? It's a team, again, that can challenge, can, you know, make the playoffs. Let's get the kid, you know, let's get the kids, uh, feet wet. They should be able to afford the contract, uh, that sort of thing. And, and the money, I understand there's a year of keeping him as well as far, you know, before he becomes a free agent. But it seems to me that the money a team makes by being in the playoffs should, help pay for that extra you know, contract, that a little bit more of the contract. And a team like Atlanta should be able to sign or, or keep their players. So I don't understand why, why La Stella hasn't been uh, promoted too. He's another one of those. Uh, I would definitely keep an eye on him because I don't know if he's as well known as some of these other prospects uh, big picture-wise throughout all of the fantasy world.
0: And I noticed that in your own wrap-up at the uh, roundtable column you said all of this uh, prospect talk applies only in in only leagues because
6: in a mixed league you'd rather dance with the devil, you know. That's just me. Uh, I'm not, I, I think that was just my opinion. Some of the knights expressed a slightly different opinion in that I think it comes down to risk taking and what you need to replace. And you know, if you lost, uh, are you replacing a star and you you know, need lightning in a bottle, or are you just trying to upgrade a spot? So even even myself, it, it, it's con- it's completely contextual, but I, I'm still more of the of the mind where uh, in, the, in the shallower mixed leagues anyway, I'd rather go with a player who is a bit more predictable, unless I'm at a point where I just gotta throw caution to the wind and I just gotta pick up one of these guys and just hope, you know, to get proverbially you know lucky as it were. in uh, you know, I, I think I'm more inclined to, to to take the chance on the hitter. Because I think the pitcher can can do a little bit more damage at this point, uh, so I, I might be more inclined to to grab a hitter than to say if Heaney or or Matt Whistler were to come up, I think I would rather cleverly stream my my pitchers uh, as a, you know the guys that I know as opposed to taking a chance on a starter like they you know I, I say this and then you know we watched the uh, the Mets and the Yankees last night and saw two rookies absolutely baffle you know, the respective lineups on the other team. So so who knows? At fantasyalarm.com, another site where you write
0: regularly, you had a column that you titled A Rant About Regression. Now,
6: we all know regression happens, so what are you ranting about? Uh, I am ranting about, it's, it could be semantics, it could be a little bit of nitpicking here, but it's just, to me, regression has sort of evolved you know, into an all- telling word meaning play worse and I don't think it really mean it shouldn't anyway mean play worse when a guy is playing you know better than he should be and and of course you know they just say he's going to regress he's going to regress and there's two problems to me there's two problems with that first of all regression doesn't have to be playing worse regression is is a movement towards what he should be doing in either direction some people like to use the word progress and that actually is not it's not correct it sounds like it's correct but it's 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 not actually a, a statistically proper word for positive regression as it were uh, and the other part about the re- to me the regression refers to elements out of the player's control i it sounds cliche at this point but you know the luck elements the the happenstance that occurs when a round bat meets a round ball I mean you know better players you know make that round bat do better things but there's still some a good amount of luck element involved and all regression is is the return to in air quotes what should happen you know big-picture wise flushing flushing the luck out of the situation skills you know there's fluctuation and variance around skills but to me anyway, the regression should refer to the what's out of the player's control returning to you know what should happen at least probability wise yeah I, I think that the uh, the the term
0: regression is one of the most widely misused in a lot of analysis and you're starting to hear it even on baseball broadcasts and stuff where people are talking about regression and they don't seem to know what it means but the 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 main message that you get across, and I think this is the one that people have to understand, is regression can work both ways. That's the important thing about it. It can just as easily mean that a player underperforming will move up as it means a player overperforming will move down. It just means moving towards the mean or the expectation. And uh, boy, you're right. A lot of people don't seem to get that, and they and they get confused about it, which is worse.
6: Right. And and, and by, by, by just using the word regress and generally you know have a that that a player's performance is going to get get worse I think it can it even further masks you know what the true meaning of regression would be we can you know using Mike Trout as, as the example Although this year might well he had to beat the walk-off last night but you know we were we were vilified by saying Mike Trout would regress we weren't saying he would play worse all we were doing is saying some of the numbers out of his control would be more reflective of of what probability says they should be they weren't we weren't saying he wasn't a great player uh and and even to a certain extent jose fernandez before he got hurt we were saying a lot of his numbers would regress and sure enough they did and you know they said then that then the kid got hurt but we weren't saying he wasn't going to pitch as well we were going to saying all we were saying there's some Numbers out of the player's control that we're going to return, at least should return. And and the other thing about regression, it's a movement towards the mean. It doesn't mean that it's going to ever get there. And that's the other the gambler's fallacy. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that the luck is going to flip, and at the end of the year that it that it turns out to be exactly fifty fifty. It just means going forward to expect fifty fifty, and as each event, you know, each true event at fifty, you know, that what should happen happens regression, you know, moves towards the 50-50. If, uh, the example i use is after 100 coin flips, if 30 of them were were heads, the next 50, it should be 25-25, so you're going to end up with 55. The the 30% or the 60% regressed towards 50%, and the end of the day was 55%. So that's the, the, the 60 regressed to 50 and it ended up at 55, and you can flip it and say 40 would regress to 50 if it started at 20 heads, and it ended up at 45. Both of those are regression towards the mean of 50-50, and it doesn't mean you know players play worse. It just means what's out of their control should anyway luck assume 50-50 going forward.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's really widely misunderstood is exactly that, that people look at a player who's either over or underperforming, and then they either trade him away or acquire the player, if he's an underperformer versus an overperformer, and they say to themselves, at the end of the year, he's going to be where he normally would be, which means his time from now forward is going to be way better than it has been so far, or way worse. Instead of it's just going to be back to normal, and the result at the end of the year is going to reflect that period of normalcy plus the period of abnormalcy that preceded it. And, and it, it's understandable and it, it's, it sits underneath a lot of buy low, sell high decisions. But I think, for instance, if we look at Charlie Blackman uh, in Colorado, here's a guy, he's way, way over his head, it appears, based on his skills and he's having outcomes that are out of line with his skills. But anybody who trades him away thinking that for some period uh, between now and the end he's going to be massively under his skills, I think they're missing the point.
6: Right. Now, this isn't to say we I mean, it's, it's still a curve. You know what? There's going to be someone that did what Jerry, Derek Jeter did several years ago, and in fact, after 180 April, end up where he's supposed to be. But it's not because... You know, luck evened out is he, he happened to get on the, on the other side of the curve. There's a big population of players, some of which is going to be 50 50 going forward, and some are going to get lucky going forward, and some are going to continue to show the bad luck going forward. Exactly. It's, it's, it's all we're dealing with probability here, and that's all you really can deal with is what, what's the most likely outcome? It might not be even, the most likely outcome might not even be uh the, the the over 50% chance of happening but it's still the most likely outcome so that that's you know that's the the whole gambler's fallacy sort of thing uh so yeah in the whole yeah you know, the buy low sell high uh i think they you know the trick of it is when you're selling how you know wh- where are the players going to come down to it's it's regression is one thing where is the regression going to end up and that has, that also, when you, when you factor that in, you also have to look at the skills. And is there, it's not all, not, sometimes it's not all regression. Is there an improved skill in there as well? So then when the, if say luck does actually return to neutral, is there a massed skill elevation that's going to mean the final result is maybe better than you think your opponent's going to think it is? Therefore, you can get that edge in the trade. You can, you can buy high. Because you feel he's going to end up higher than your opponent does. Yeah, that that comes
0: up especially at the starts of years because you don't know that a guy has developed a new pitch in the off season or bulked up in his um, training regimen has made him a little stronger if he's a hitter or you know there's a million things that can have gone on that we're not immediately aware of and you know you mentioned BABIP and it it does fluctuate over time and it appears to be the product of luck, but in fact, we know, at least among batters, that a guy who hits the ball harder is going to have a higher batting average on balls in play because it just stands to reason. If you hit the ball harder, it squeaks through more often through the infield. And so if a player has a career, you know, 300 BABIP, and that's pretty common, but in the offseason, he added 10 pounds of muscle, maybe lost some weight, picked up some speed, learned how to bunt. You know, there's all these kind of things he could have done that could raise his likelihood of getting hits on balls in play, which appears to be a luck
6: thing, but it could
0: actually be a skill thing. And we have to learn to parse those
6: out. Right. Look at uh, the two things to look at are the line drive data, because no matter how hard you hit, a a soft line drive still more likely to be a hit than a fly ball or a ground ball. Uh, So you look at the line drive percent and the other data that's becoming fairly it's becoming a little bit more if you know where to look it's it's out there and if you look on baseball HQ it's there is the hard hit data and as you said you've done some study on that I th- one of the things i find somewhat fascinating about the hard hit data is if you look at hard medium and soft that softly hit balls actually go for hits more than medium hit balls but on yes. the other hand that actually when you think about it the next level it actually does make sense You know, a a slower ground ball, you have a better chance of beating it out than a medium hit. You know, a medium hit ground ball, the field is going to get to it, and the runner's not going to beat it out. On a slower hit ball, the runner can beat it out. And even a fly ball, a softly hit fly ball is probably a Texas leaguer, whereas a medium hit fly ball is a can of coin, you know, is is just going to get caught. So it's, I don't, it doesn't, it's still, how hard you hit the ball still far outweighs any, dumb luck you get from from weakly hitting the ball i just kind of think that's it's it's it is non-intuitive when you it might be non-intuitive anyway that uh you know a softly hit ball might be where you get the most of your luck is you know you don't make you don't barrel it up and you end up getting a hit just because if it's a you know you beat it out or it falls and you know you get the little uh david ortiz pop-up that falls to the outfield and gets rolled a hit yeah,
0: and uh, that, that, that happens more often on soft-hit balls, especially in the infield, because it, it makes it a more difficult play for the fielder, and you just know in today's scoring environment that most of those plays, even if you think they should have been made, are going to be scored hits, especially for the home batter, uh, but but increasingly for batters on both sides. And I, I I remember looking into this a couple of years ago, and I was surprised, as you were, to, to notice that hard-hit balls, of course, are much higher, I think 70% across the board, irrespective of trajectory. But that the 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 medium hit balls, ground balls, fly balls, were uh, dead outs. I mean, I think it was under ten percent of them fell in for hits, and it's just as you say, it's an easy ground ball or it's a can of corn fly ball, and then the soft ones. I think they weren't great. It's still like fifteen or eighteen percent or something like that, twice as good as uh, as the medium hit balls. Still not great, but it just goes to show you that anything's possible. Uh, Todd, I know you're a writer at Ron Chandler's new Chandler Park site for monthly fantasy games, and now you're getting your own space there. What's up with that? What's it going to be called, and what's it about?
6: Well, I wrote a piece uh, going into the month about choosing the the batters for the upcoming month, and as, as is often my want, and you know this from from being one of my money editors, I, I tend to ramble and and not get to the point and, and, and talk about a lot of different things that are all relevant, but... Uh, So, what we, you know, we usually end up breaking pieces into three or four pieces. Well, what, instead of breaking a piece into three or four pieces, uh, Ron and I decided to get an evergreen section to Chandler Park. He's, he's got one already where he started on his own stuff. Uh, so we're gonna have a, you know, an evergreen section where we talk about Sort of theory, game theory that can be applied across the board and not just on a you know month by month basis. A lot of the stuff is, what you know, who do we pick this month? What players do we pick this month based upon matchup and stats and, and injuries and that sort of thing. So I'm in the process of writing some evergreen pieces, and I, the uh, the the title, the working title is Zola Skull Sessions, and we may do a little alertive play on the uh, on the Z and the Skull and the Session just. Because that's what you do nowadays and it looks kind of cute. Uh, back in Little League days when my, when we had a rainout, we would go back to the coach's house and, and have what we call the skull session. It might not be the most popular term, but I think it's, uh, well, well enough known that it should get the point across. And I'm gonna talk about a lot of the stuff that's you know, out there, Babip and skills and, and all that sort of thing. And we're not gonna reinvent the wheel. We're going to, or I'm going to tailor it towards, the monthly game, how you can use uh, performance and, and and recent performance and et cetera to to find players that could do better or worse than the uh, the pricing that's out there using skill analysis, using luck analysis, and there's also just going to be some general how do we how to win a, a tournament, and it's a little bit of my experience in the daily game will bring over to the monthly game as far as. Having to be different on some players, how to, having to you know having to be a lemming and, and go with some players, On the other hand, knowing which players to fade and which players uh, you know to to not have because you need to have some differentiation if you're going to win a, a large entry tournament. Though Chandler Park isn't necessarily a large entry, but I still think it's big enough that you do need to separate yourself from the pack if you do want you know, wanna win, want to win, a little want to win a little bit of money as well so uh soon enough we're going to be putting that together it'll uh it'll be part of the training room at Chandler park and once it's out there it'll be all over social media so if you follow me at todd zola or you follow ron or, or i'm sure that you'll find the links and once it's up and running it'll uh, it'll be there to keep it's not going to go away well the the pieces will be there for uh for prosperity
0: All right, Todd, it sounds like something to look forward to at ChandlerPark.com in addition to everything else that you're doing all over the uh, interwebs with uh, Fantasy Baseball, including at BaseballHQ.com, and of course right here every Friday on our Talk with Todd. Thanks for doing it. We'll catch up with you again next Friday. Looking forward to it already, Patrick. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Todd. Uh, Todd Zola writes for BaseballHQ.com, FantasyAlarm.com, MastersBall.com. ESPN.com, and of course Ron Chandler's ChandlerPark.com and he does appear here every Friday on Baseball HQ Radio. Our Baseball HQ commentaries are next. Stay with us. Pitcher matchups and master notes coming up on Baseball HQ Radio.
2: First of all, I want you to know that this honor that was brought upon me here could not have happened without the great work and the advice and guidance that I've had from three of the most wonderful people that I know and if either of them weren't here today I know that this day could not be complete but they're all here and I just hope you don't mind if I just pay a, a word of thanks and a, a tribute to my advisor and a wonderful friend a man who I considered a father Mr. Branch Ricky. And, and my mother who taught me so much of the important things early in life I appreciate no end. My mother Mrs. Robinson and, and, and lastly ladies and gentlemen my wife who has been such a wonderful inspiration to me and the person who has guided and advised me throughout our entire marriage. I, I couldn't have been here today without her help. And then I In sitting down, I must thank the baseball writers. I never thought at all that I would have this wonderful honor coming to me so early in my lifetime. And to have the writers to elect me on the first time is a thrill that I shall never forget. We have been up in cloud nine since the election. I don't ever think I'll come down. But I want to thank all of the people throughout this country who were just so wonderful during those trying days. I appreciate it no end. It's the greatest honor any person could have. And I only hope that I'll be able to live up to this tremendously fine honor. It's, it's something that I think those of us who are fortunate again must use in order to help others because it's such a tremendous honor that we should be able to go out and do things to help. I'm just grateful and I'm sorry it's taking so long, but I just wanted you to do. I appreciate it so much. Thank you.
4: Baseball HQ Radio.
0: Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Tavitt. Time now for our regular Friday commentaries. Ray Murphy is on deck with Master Notes, and we lead off this inning with our matchup segment. Remember, our Baseball HQ matchup ratings look at every starting pitcher matchup by pitcher skills and recent performance, as well as the strength of the opposing team. That way we arrive at a matchup rating from plus 5 to minus 5. Recommended pitchers have matchup ratings of 2.0 or higher, while pitcher warnings have ratings of 0 or worse. Everything in between, well, that's a risk versus benefit play you'll have to decide for yourself. Now looking at Toronto right-hander R.A. Dickey visiting Texas to face right-hander Nicholas Martinez and Milwaukee right-hander Marco Estrada at the Cubs and Southpaw Travis Wood. Here's Greg Fishwick.
4: When you view the pitcher matchups tool at BaseballHQ.com, you see recommended pitchers' matchup ratings in green and warnings in red. But there's a lot more to the tool than just going with the guys who have green matchup ratings and avoiding those with red ones. This week, let's see if we can even make a case for going against the grain, at least a little bit. In the American League on Sunday, the Toronto Blue Jays visit Rangers Ballpark for a tilt with Texas. Rangers Ballpark inflates run production more than any other venue in the American League and Toronto has the better batters. They've outscored Texas by an average of one run per game. Both pitchers come in with warnings, but one might be worth the risk. Toronto's R.A. Dickey deservedly brings in a matchup rating of minus thirty one, but he's up against the Rangers' rookie right-hander Nicholas Martinez, and Martinez has the worst matchup rating of the weekend with a minus 2.13. Martinez has made two starts this year. Both were in April and both were PQS disasters. Since then, he's been in the bullpen, so he's not stretched out. That means the Blue Jays will likely get a shot at the Rangers' Raggedy Relief Corps. Dickey comes with a warning for good reason, but he still has the best chance of anyone with a red number to come through for you. In the National League on Sunday, the Chicago Cubs are home in the friendly confines of Ridley Field to host the Milwaukee Brewers. Both pitchers boast matchup ratings in green. Cub lefty Travis Wood has the higher mark at 3 but Brew Crew righty Marco Estrada is not far behind with his 287, and Estrada may be the better pick. Against the Cubs this season, Estrada already has a PQS 4 start, and against them last season, he had two PQS 5s. The Cubs are tied with the Astros for the worst winning percentage in Major League Baseball. They're under five hundred at home, and against right-handed starting pitchers, they have the worst record in the majors. On the road, Milwaukee has twice as many wins as losses. Against lefties, the Brewers have three times as many wins as losses. You could go with Estrada in this one and not even have to knock wood. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com.
0: If you play in a fantasy league whose rules or format let you take advantage of pitcher streaming, then you need to check out the daily matchup reports at BaseballHQ.com as well as our exclusive Baseball HQ Pitcher Matchups tool only at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for Master Notes, a weekly comment on baseball and fantasy baseball with a look at It's Not So Different After All. Here's BaseballHQ.com speculator, columnist and co-general manager, Ray Murphy. Throughout the spring, There have been a number of discussions on Baseball HQ Radio
1: about daily fantasy games. Host Patrick Davitt has engaged his various guests in interesting explorations of various aspects of this growth area of the industry, from strategies to legalities. From our perspective as content providers, the explosive growth of these games is simply too compelling to ignore. That's reflected in the conversations on our podcast— As recently as three years ago, it's possible that none of the guests would have had anything to say on the concept if they had even heard of daily gaming back then. I know I was in the dark three years ago. Now, everyone's at least able to contribute to the discussion whether or not they are active daily players. Daily games have become an accepted part of the landscape. Full disclosure, I've been playing them a bit. BaseballHQ.com ran some promotions with Draft Street last year, so I played in some of those with our subscribers and then continued to play a bit last season. I've been playing them more regularly this year, mostly because we are exploring what sort of offerings that Baseball HQ should provide to daily players, and it helps to actually be a daily player when trying to answer that question. These daily games are frequently likened to a game of chance more than a game of skill. To some fantasy baseball traditionalists, that characterization alone is a turnoff. For me, I've been known to enjoy a game of chance from time to time, so I'm not put off by that description. In my particular experience this past week, though, I found that these games may not be so different after all. Some background. Recently, I've been evaluating the teams I drafted this season. I covered my labor mixed draft here a few months ago. Even though it's been mired in the middle of the pack in the early standings, this team feels like one of my stronger ones. It's now healthy, has no major weaknesses, and has some guys who seem to be breaking out. For instance, last round draft pick Dallas Keuchel. So even though it entered this week sitting some 20 points out of first in 7th or 8th place depending on the day, I liked this team's chances to improve. My daily game experience so far this year has been similar in some ways. Obviously, in that format, you don't have a consistent roster to manage. But I felt like I had been picking decent teams, in line with a set of principles for what sort of players I wanted to target in these games. The results haven't been that good. In fact, I lost a good chunk of the initial deposit I made on opening day. Still, one of the common themes from these prior podcast conversations had been that you need to play a lot to let the inherent variants of daily play smooth out. So that's what I've been doing, hoping that better results would eventually come. So, when both labor mixed and in my daily play, I was basically waiting for improvement in my fortunes. I was pretty convinced that my processes were sound. Most days it seemed like I was one or two players away from a really big finish. And the lost money on the daily side seemed more like an issue of poor bankroll management, another theme for prior podcasts, than from drafting poor teams. Basically, I was waiting for results that would validate these evaluations. And on Tuesday night, that validation came. In both arenas, as it turns out. My labor mix team put up the following line on Tuesday. 16 for 49, 8 runs, 11 RBIs, and a home run. On the pitching side, 26.2 innings, with 2 wins, a save, 27 strikeouts, a 1.01 ERA, and a sub-1 whip. That was enough to pick up 16 standing points and jump all the way to second place, and I slipped into first the next day. It's just one day and being in first place in May doesn't mean anything. But it completely validates that previous evaluation that this was a contending team trapped in the middle of the pack standing. Meanwhile, my daily game entry that same night on, uh, this week was putting on a show of its own. It went 16 for 35 with 13 RBIs, 10 runs, and 2 home runs. On the pitching side, my pitchers threw 20 and two-thirds innings, scoreless, with 3 wins, 21 strikeouts, and 1 complete game. That entry was good enough to outright win a 550-person event, turning my $5 entry fee into $500. That one finish flipped my bankroll well into the black for the season. Since dollars are the standings measurement tool in the daily game space, that's the equivalent of finding yourself suddenly in contention. My takeaway here is that these two formats may not be that different after all. There were a couple of guys who were on both rosters, including the one we mentioned above, Dallas Keuchel, who threw a complete game shutout that night. But more than common players, there are still plenty of similarities between the formats. We're still predicting player performance, that's an obvious similarity. But even on the roster management side, there are parallel skills. You have to practice excruciating patience at times. You have to self-evaluate and identify areas for improvement at other times. In short, The units of measure may be different, but the skills required for success can translate between these games. And, of course, winning is fun in both places. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ray Murphy of BaseballHQ.com.
0: Ray Murphy is the BaseballHQ.com speculator, columnist, and co-general manager of the site. You can get master notes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio, our Friday News and Notes edition for May the 16th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 32 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch News Analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our regular Friday Talk with Todd correspondent was Todd Zola. Our HQ Matchups commentator was Greg Fishwick. And our Master Notes commentator was BaseballHQ.com Speculator Columnist and Co-General Manager Ray Murphy. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can also check out baseballhq HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. But more importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in four days with our Tuesday Tout Edition, featuring from RotoWire.com and SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio, Jeff Erickson, on the next edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long.